Guys, we're at episode 60. I'm so excited. And for this episode, we're going to wrap up our month of family topics by talking about five simple phases to discipling your children, raising kids that are going to love God. As parents, this is especially, well, faith-based parents anyways, this is probably our greatest primary area of concern slash worry slash effort. (laughs) And so I thought through this, I've had a number of people ask about this, and I just went and looked at the word and spent some time praying, and I feel like I have a really simple analogy that's going to help us understand, A, this is a journey, but the different phases to that journey, and then I include some real practical ways that you can invest in each step of that process. So, Let's jump into this episode. If you know another mama who's raising godly kids, go ahead and send this episode to her. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Hey guys, welcome to episode 60 parenting and godly children basically i think i've titled this thing like four different things at this point (laughs) uh five simple ways to grow god-loving kids that's what we're gonna call it um now let me preface the life hack at the end i don't know why i didn't think of this sooner but a friend recommended it from church i wore a face mask last week i don't normally wear them i have medical exemption and texas is just pretty free-spirited about it all Um, and I wore a mask for three hours and I got sick from it and I've been sick for a week, hence the congestion you can hear in my voice. So a friend, and it was a, it was a fresh new mask. So a friend recommended this little tip to keep from getting sick in your masks. And I was like, why didn't I think of that sooner? I'm going to share that in life hacks. Okay. But jumping into this episode, I want to lay some really important, um, foundational things so that We don't take away lots of pressure from this message, but in fact, a lot of freedom. Firstly, mom, the performance of your children is not the evidence of your performance as a mom. Even Jesus had a disciple that was completely unfaithful, and he had another disciple that totally betrayed him. He had another disciple that went wild and cut a guy's ear off. You know what I mean? God, Jesus was like the best leader there ever was. And he had pretty jacked up people in his tribe. So when you're looking at your little tribe and you see how jacked up they can be, just remember, even God wanted to kill all the Israelites <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> and that actually, one day I remember my kids were little and I was like, God, I could strangle my children. Not really. I would never do that. But in my heart, I was like, I just, I just can't. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, generally, I understand. Even I wanted to kill the Israelites multiple times. And Moses had to talk me out of it or Lot had to talk me out of it, you know. So I I was so comforted to know like, oh my gosh, yes, this journey is going to be frustrating at times because it's not a reflection. Perfect parents don't breed perfect children. Willing parents, broken human parents with good intentions that are leaning into the Lord will raise children that hopefully are God-fearing, but ultimately they have a will and they have a choice. So if you're a parent and your kid is kind of going off the deep end, learn what you can, pray, but you have to realize every single person has a journey and every single child makes their choices. Okay, so I just wanted to break some of that pressure off because I think we can do that to ourselves. Um, Okay, so raising our kids to fear the Lord, at least for me, it's like the greatest 
um, my, my greatest felt responsibility is to raise my kids to not just be decent humans, but to really love God and fulfill the destiny and calling that is on their life. Can I get an amen? I think we all feel that. And I've had a number of parents um, say, like, what are you guys doing with your kids? And to be honest, we're still in the raising kids process. And while, yes, I have wonderful boys, uh, I look around and see the stupidity of my clan sometimes. And I'm like, where have we gone wrong? So listen, every parent does things great and every parent has room to grow, myself included. Um, but as I really sat down and kind of thought about that and asked the Lord, like, Lord, you gave us lots of wisdom in the word. What, how, how would you recommend we do this? And, um, he brought to mind this really simple parable, but let me first start with this story. When I was in Honduras a few years ago, we took a team and it was the end of a missions trip and we were kind of just enjoying the country. We were at a dinner and there was a man there. He's like full grown in his fifties. And he only eats five foods. He eats like pizza, hamburgers, chicken nuggets, and a couple of other things. And that's all he eats. Doesn't eat vegetables, never has loved vegetables. And so I asked him, I said, and his mom was, or his wife was talking about how how difficult it was to feed him and, or how simple it was to feed him rather. And so I said, how come you don't eat more than that? Like, how come you don't like more foods than that? And he just looked at me and he goes, I don't know. That's all my mom ever made. When he said that, I both had a light bulb go off in my head and the fear of the Lord hit my soul. (laughs) I was like, holy crap, I am literally programming humans. (laughs) And it it made me realize because I've looked around and I've observed. I spend a lot of time observing and just learning from what I observe. And, you know, as pastors, we've we've worked with tons and tons of families and, and encountered lots of different, the whole spectrum, you know, and I've observed where there are children who very misbehaved or um, not behaving in a way that would make a parent proud versus children who have a tenderness. There, there are things that those families do differently. And so I, I just realized when he said, that's all my mom ever made. I realized what I regularly expose my children to is what is programming them as humans and for their expectations for life. What I regularly expose my children to is programming them for life. So that should comfort you and kind of make you realize this is a journey. So what you regularly expose your kids to, whether that's um, food or whether that's language, like the way you guys talk in your home, um, how you treat them, Uh, what kind of entertainment you guys watch, how you guys respond to sin, how you don't respond to sin. I mean, like everything. We are, sometimes I think we think that raising kids is this um, Russian roulette, let's just hope I get it right, when really at the end of the day, you're discipling your children, whether you realize it or not, you're programming them to behave in a certain way. Just, it it depends. Are you being intentional or are you being accidental. Now, for those of you who are just wonderful people, this accidental approach may just work out really well for you. <laughs> but those of you who who are like, you know, I just really want to be intentional. Um, I have this little analogy that the Lord gave me that will help us with that intentionality side of things. But just realize 
kids are like, in some regards, like computers, except they have a will, right? How they process the information changes from personality to personality, right? But what you put in to them on a consistent basis sets their programming on the inside. Um, Now, let me explain this real quick. It'll help, especially as your kids get older. Psychologically, when your kids are from zero to six, you are writing the programming of their hard drive. Like you are teaching them, um, no, don't hit. This is how we treat people. This is what happens when you disobey. Things like that. You are programming them with how you interact with them, what the principles of life are. And then from six to 12, they walk out those principles you've taught them. If you've noticed, six to 12-year-olds are a little bit easier to parent, a whole lot easier than the little years, but they're a little easier to parent. And then when they hit 12, something magical happens, and it's like they revert to the three-year-old that they once were. (laughs) Well, what happens is psychologically from 12 to 18, they go through this phase where they are testing everything subconsciously they're testing all the principles you put into them in those first six years to try to vet out what information is still trustworthy that they can carry into life and what information they need to discard i think that's kind of brilliant of god to do that because you know when our kids are zero to six we are much younger as well and we're learning a lot about life and so hi i made all the mistakes when my kids were little right So when they're 12 to 18, they're going into adult thinking and they're trying to establish what do I really believe about the world? Did everything my parents teach me, was it really the truth? And so they're testing all those things you've taught them. Now, if you're like me and you don't realize this is what's happening, it can make you a little mad and crazy in the head like, oh my gosh, I taught you when you were four to share your toys. Why are you 14 and you don't know how to share? <laughs> right? Well, it's because they're they're testing those things out. So gear back up when they're 12. You're going to have to be very consistent about reiterating the principles that were part of your core values from the beginning. Um, but don't be discouraged when they test those things that they should know because that's literally what they're doing. It's helping them concrete in their hearts what to do with those things. And so that's where this process is really valuable. So the Lord gave me the analogy of a garden. We've heard scripture talk to our hearts about being a garden, right? And the Lord showed me the five phases that happen in a plant growing and producing fruit. The first is you have to prepare the soil. The second is you plant the seed. The third is you water the seed. You celebrate the growth. Hey, it's growing. There's greenery. I can see it, right? Because usually if you've ever gardened, I don't know about you, but once I see that little sucker coming up out of the soil, I like do a victory dance. There's life, you know, but then you still have to look forward to the fruit ripening and being ready to consume, right? So nurturing the soil is about preparing their hearts for what you're putting into them, okay? So I like to look at this as nurturing the soil. Um, The parable of the seed and the sower talks about the importance of the soil of our hearts. And this is in Matthew 13, if you wanna go read it. Listen, all of these phases, each of these five phases, could probably be a separate podcast episode if I wanted to go really deep. If you guys want me to break it up and maybe we could do that for May, where I go deep into each one of these, we can do that, but I need to hear back from you if you guys want me to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to hit them kind of lightly, give you kind of a summary so you understand the full picture. Um, But if you want to go deeper, just let me know. 
In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the parable of the seed and the sower. There's four types of soil. There's um, seed that fell on the rocky path. There's the shallow soil. There's the um, footpath. And then there's the good soil, right? And so it talks about how the seed responds to all the different soil. Well, the only uh, soil that produced fruit was the good soil, which is where the seed went in and it was eagerly received and responded to with obedience and then it bore fruit. And it responded to obedience regardless of how difficult it was. And so the soil of your children's hearts, it's our responsibility as parents to nurture the soil of their hearts. Listen, if I am mean and harsh to my child and I never give them my attention and I never listen to their feelings, I am going to be hardening the soil of their heart because I'm not nurturing softness. I'm not nurturing care and relationship. They won't feel valued. And so you parent one of the number one ways that you nurture the soil of your child's heart. You may have heard me say this in the last episode is that you need to make them feel seen, heard, and valued. It's one of the primary ways you soften the soil of their heart, make them feel seen, heard, and valued. That's at the core of all of us, all of us. And so to teach our kids to have open, hungry hearts to God's word, that good soil, we need to model it. The difference of the soils that that bore fruit, the only one that bore fruit was the one where it received the word, which a lot of us do, will receive the word. But whether or not you obey it is what determines whether your soil was actually good soil or not. So you need to teach your children to one, have open, hungry hearts for the word of God and for wisdom. You need to model what that looks like, being hungry for the word, and we'll get into that. And then obedience. We have to teach our children obedience because obedience is a mindset. It's not just an action. It's a mindset. It's a it's a it's an attitude and a submission of heart to authority and a recognition of authority and the benefits of being in the right posturing in regard to authority. So, a you have to model it. All these things I'm going to say you have to model for your children. They need a picture of what it looks like that you're asking them for, okay? So, all these things we need to model it. Open hungry hearts um a way that you can model a hungry heart for the word of God or for wisdom is take them to church. Take them to church. I remember it told me how important that going to church was because my parents, we never missed church unless we were sick or dying. Literally, we didn't miss church. I remember us walking four miles in the heat in Arizona to get to church because our car was broken down. We got to church. You need to model for your kids what hunger for the word of God looks like. Have your quiet time. Model that for them and teach them to have their quiet times. I remember my dad used to get up early in the morning, every morning, consistently he'd read the word of God. We never talked about it, but I observed it. And I remember learning and thinking, huh, if that's important to my dad enough for him to get up early and do it every day, it's important. And so I started doing that as a teenager. Okay, but it is important also to talk to them about why you do these things. Talk to them about how important it is to hunger for the word. Listen, I thought when I was a younger parent that modeling what I'm asking my children to do was enough, but you have to model it and then you need to explain it because they need to be able to put two and two together. They need to, otherwise they'll just think that's just the way you are, but you need to explain it. Have those conversations. Okay, um, Deuteronomy 11, 
18 through 21 talks about how to keep the word of God in our hearts. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as a symbol to your hands, meaning where it'll affect everything that you do, bind them on your forehead, which is like, in other words, it guides the way you think. It's always at the forefront of your thinking. But if you put something on your forehead, it also means it's visible to the people around you. When they look at you, that's the first thing they see, right? So bind the word of God to your forehead, forefront of thinking, and other people can see it as well. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When we're driving in the car, we have lots of conversations about the Lord. When you lie down, like before bed, Bible time, and when you get up, when we wake up, pray together. Write them on the door frames of your house, which means as you come into your home, as you leave your home, and on your gates, as you leave your property, as you come to your property, so that your days and the days of your children <coughs> may be many in the land of the Lord, sworn to your ancestors. The point of that passage is he's making, listen, this should always be forefront of mind. The word of God is something that we should have regularly active in our thinking. When the boys ask me questions, I try to always find opportunities to pull the word of God into my answers because I want them to see that all of my reasoning comes back to what does the word of God say about this? What does the word of God say about this? So nurturing the soil of your children's heart is you need to teach your kids to have an open, hungry heart for God's word by modeling it, by communicating that, by making it a constant, ready part of your life. The word of God, sometimes I'll write a scripture across the mirror in my kid's bathroom. Um, sometimes I will, when we're driving, I will just share with my kids, hey guys, you know what I've been thinking about lately? And I'll just share from what the Lord's teaching me. And they listen. It's kind of great. I feel like they listen better in those moments than when I'm like correcting them or correcting their behavior because sometimes that's tense and they can try to put their guards up, you know? But when we're just talking about it as we go, that's discipleship. It's happening and you're nurturing in their heart an acclamation for receiving the word of God. Um, practically speaking, you keep their heart soft and ready to receive the word by how you treat them all the time. So like how many of you have encountered uh, a pastor or a spiritual leader or a, or a leader of any kind who could talk like a leader but when it came to acting like a leader or how they treated you, they did not treat you with respect or you felt small. Please. I had a pastor one time who in staff meetings would say, you guys need to work stuff out and get together and talk out your issues. But then when I had had conflict with him, he never was willing to take a meeting and talk it out. Never. Canceled every one of them. And so it made it where it was hard for me to receive the word from him because I was like, you're not living what you preach. Your kids expect you to live what you preach. So when you live what you preach, it actually keeps their hearts soft to receive the word. Okay, here's super, super practical. Do what your kids love. Um, we teach discipleship uh, at church and, and college ministry and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things, one of the keys to discipleship is doing what they love. When you do what somebody else loves, especially if they know you don't particularly love the activity, but you're doing what they love because you know they love it, that accesses their heart. It, it opens their heart right up to you and makes them receptive to you. And so when Shiloh um, wants me to jump on the trampoline with him, I will jump on the trampoline with him even if I pee myself because, hi, I carried four children. <laughs> um, or I'll say, hey, buddy, I don't know if I can jump, but I'll be happy to spray you with the water hose. You know, somehow I try to participate in what he wants to do. 
We take our kids on dates, one-on-one dates to get one-on-one time where they don't feel like they're having to compete with brothers to get our attention. And I've realized I used to come up with the stuff we would do for our little dates and then I I gave up on that because sometimes it just wasn't what they loved and they just didn't get thrilled with the date. So now I just ask them, what would you like to do for our date? Where would you like to go eat, you know? And, um, And that's what we'll do. So doing what they love is a key to their heart. Love and laughter plow the hardest hearts. So if you're dealing with a child who is really closed off to you, maybe they're a teenager, maybe they're a younger kid, maybe, maybe you have not modeled God's character and and the word of God to them. Maybe you've been very angry and they've hardened their heart towards you. Listen, you can always start fresh. God's mercies are new every morning and you can earn back that trust. You earn back that trust by doing the hard work of nurturing your heart obeying the word of God, good soil, remember, is obedient to the word of God. But love and laughter plows the hardest hearts. You can nurture that relationship by being loving on purpose. Love never fails. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Loving them on purpose and and creating moments of laughter. Do something you can laugh about. Have a tickle fest. Make crazy faces. There's all kinds of ways you can have fun with your kids. Those cause their hearts to be soft and able to receive the word of God from you. Nurture their hearts by treating them with respect. I see you. I hear you. You matter. And your vulnerability in the relationship and building trust really, really, really matters. When they start checking out of the relationship or if they do start checking out of the relationship, you need to introduce vulnerability back into the relationship. That means if they're doing something that's hurting you, you get unguarded and you talk honestly about how their actions affect you. I find so many parents that like, it's like a, um, a light bulb moment. Like, oh, I can just talk honestly with my kid. Yes, talk honestly with your child. You're a human. They need to see you as a human processing human moments. You know, that doesn't mean I... Um, fall apart or get over emotional all the time, but I just speak candidly with my guards down because your vulnerability will invite their vulnerability. And I've noticed 100% of the time when I get vulnerable with my kids, I'm not attacking, I'm not defensive, I'm not accusing, I'm not passive aggressive. I'm just opening my heart and sharing how I feel and how their actions impact me or their attitudes impact me. Suddenly, they put their guards down and they're able to receive me and hear what I'm saying. And usually it's very healing moments. Vulnerability nurtures trust in the relationship. Okay, so I wanted, I spent a little time on that prepping the soil because there's a lot that we can do. But basically, you want to lead with love. If you're leading with love, and listen, love is not always soft. Sometimes love is tough. Sometimes love is, listen, I'm doing this because I care about you, even though it's uncomfortable, you know? Love is what's for their good, but love should also make them feel loved. They should feel loved by you. And doing that will nurture the soil of their hearts. And now listen, let me say, when you do something that doesn't feel loving, like you have to spank them, it's important, or you have to take the toy away that they really want, it is important that you follow those actions with an explanation at some point. Maybe not instantly in that moment, maybe a little later, But you have to say, listen, I love you and this is not good for you. I had to take a sucker from my son last night because he had eaten like six. I said, you already have a cavity. Please give me this sucker. This is not good for you. I love you and I care about your teeth. I'm going to have to throw this away. He was upset 
but he knew it was because I love him, right? Um, okay, so the next part in the process, of course, nurturing the soil, then you're planting seeds. We'll go quicker through these other ones. Planting seeds comes through their eyes and their ears. The planting of seeds that you can do in planting seeds in their hearts, there are so many ways to plant seeds. And this is where it's fun. And that passage in Deuteronomy about write it on your forehead, put it on your hand, talk about it as you go, talk about it as you come, all that, that's all planting seeds. So talking about the things of the Lord as you go about your day. If I'm learning something from the Lord, I try to talk about it with my kids because then they see me processing what I'm learning. They see me maybe not having all the answers. They see me um, craving knowledge and craving the understanding that the Lord brings, getting excited about the word of God. And then they're also going to see when I follow through with obedience. And so talk about what you're learning with the Lord. Entertainment, the things you guys entertain yourselves with, um, that really matters. Listen, and this is me personally, we don't watch a lot of Disney at all. There is a mentality in our children and even ours, even though we worked very hard to guard them, there's a mentality in our culture in this day and age that if you have a good enough reason to not obey, you don't have to obey. <coughs> we don't watch Disney primarily, not all the time that we filter them. Um, but we point out when there's a Disney show or any, any genre that there's a lot of rebellion, there's parentlessness, or there's a storyline where the parents are hard and they are strict and they establish this rule and the kids revolt and rebel and do it because they had a good reason. And then in the end of the movie, the parents inevitably come and apologize. That's horrible. That is rebellion. That is teaching our children that if you have a good enough reason to disobey, you can disregard authority. Guys, that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that is exactly why we're in this mess, needing to parent this way. <laughs> so pay attention to the messages that are sent through entertainment. We are very strict about rebellion and witchcraft and how parents and authority figures are perceived in shows and movies um, because that's important to God and that's important to God's kingdom. And we want our kids to grow with a submitted heart to authority, to God's authority in their life. Pay attention to that. Um, plant seeds by taking your kids to church, putting them in youth groups, sending them to youth camp, sending them um, on a Christian conference. All those things are opportunities for seeds to go in. Listening to Christian music, that plants seeds in their heart. Um, listening to audiobooks in the car, that's seeds in their heart. Friends, the friends that they're around, the friends they choose, listen, that is massive seeds in their heart. And I encourage you as a parent to already be praying, no matter how young your child is, already be praying that the Lord will shield your children from friends that would have a, an ungodly influence in their growing up years, and that the Lord would bring friends to them that challenge them in their walk with Jesus. And I tell my kids that all the time. And I share with them stories of siblings or friends who made the wrong friends and how they drew them away from the plans God had for them and how I chose friends. I stayed intentionally away from people that did not challenge me to love God more. Um, and so that's a big deal. Music um writing notes you can write notes to your kids I do this especially when I'm having a challenge with a child I will sit down in my time with the Lord and I'll ask the Lord to share his thoughts with me about that child and I'll write it down and I'll give it to him be like hey I was praying for you this morning and this is what I felt like the Lord was sharing with me that he thinks about you 
And of course, I'll write notes that's just from my own heart as well, sticking notes in their lunchbox. And you could put a little scripture verse or a little catchphrase that you guys use in the house like, love God, love people. What matters is love God, love people. You know, little phrases like that that they can repeat, that can get stuck in their head. Those are seeds. <clears throat> Model good fruit because fruit, fruit begets, like fruit has seeds in it, right? And when you have a piece of fruit, those seeds are cast onto the ground and it produces more fruit. Am I right? So when you're modeling fruit, say you're being patient with your child, your fruit has seeds of learning inside of it. When they see your patience, they learn from that. Like, oh, that's maybe a better way to do it. And so you modeling what you want to see in their life actually sows seeds into their hearts. And so you doing the work on you first is super important. Every phase of this, you doing the work first is super important. When they were little, it's really easy when they're little, but especially as you get older, I'm always trying to think of phrases that I can get stuck in their heads, like um, love never fails, or um, love and laughter plow the hardest hearts, or when they were little, I would say hands are for loving, not for hitting, or I would say couches are for bottoms, not for feet, <laughs> or um, you know, friends should make us love Jesus more. You know, anything that's an important aspect of your family and the way you want to raise them, come up with a small phrase that you can repeat every time that will help implement that principle because it'll echo in their mind. Small, digestible, transportable phrases that they can just carry it with them at school. Sometimes when I'm dropping them off at school, I try to do this most days. I'll ask the Lord sometimes for an idea. But when I'm driving them to school, the other day I was talking to them about, about real heroes, boys, right? I got to use boy language. So I was talking about the importance of selflessness and choosing others and, and making an example of what happens. And so I kind of called out each one of them, little things that they did. Levi had helped his brother, you know, comb his hair that morning. And, you know, Benjamin helped his brother pack his lunch. <clears throat> and little moments like that. I'm like, those are selfless moments that makes you like a hero. And it was interesting. I didn't realize how much they were paying attention till they're getting out of the car. And Shiloh turns around and says, mom, you didn't say anything about me. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I said, when you made me hot tea last night, you were a hero. And then he smiled and he said, thank you. And he ran off to school. And so I was like, wow, okay. Well, it really matters to them when we call out their wins, right? But that was an example of planting seeds in my kids in the morning. So those little moments, they really do remember. And those simple memorable phrases are the phrases that will come up in their minds when they're in decision-making moments. Your voice becomes the voice of God guiding their choices as they grow up and make decisions. So come up with simple memorable phrases. One thing you can do is maybe sit down and write out your family core values like these are the things that really matter to us. What are the qualities I really want to see my kids demonstrate? Like kindness, integrity, love for God, love for people, whatever. Come up with a handful or a dozen or whatever you want. And then make little short digestible phrases that you can repeat every time the situation calls for it so that you're literally programming their thinking to those truths and those principles as they grow. Okay, the next step is the third step in the nurturing of their hearts is watering 
those plants with prayer, watering those seeds with prayer. Praying for your kids, like when I, when I taught them what I taught them on the way to school that morning, or when I say things, <clears throat> frequently, once they've left my presence, I will just pray and say, God, please water that. Please nurture that. Please bring growth to that revelation. Pray and listen, those little short prayers are effective. Don't even think that they're not. I have prayed some very short, minute little prayers that I saw great fruit from. And I was like, well, that was wonderful. But make sure that you take time to pray for them, to pray in front of them, and to pray with them. Okay? They watering their growth with prayer. There's a scripture that says that one plants the seed, one um, nurtures the seed, and but God brings the growth. And so it's important to recognize that anything we put into our kids it's going to grow because God is causing it to grow. And you, through prayer, invite God into that process and you give him permission to work. When you release the word of God from your mouth, you activate angels to be active in your family and to be active in your kids' lives. Pray for your kids, pray in front of them, pray with them. Pray for them in love, calling forth their destiny, calling forth their gifts. And it's important that you ask the Lord, God, show me what you see over my children. Show me what was the plans that you had. Because the Bible says he knew them before the foundations of the world. God had plans for them before they were ever born. I frequently ask the Lord, God, show me what is written in the books of heaven for my children so that I can speak those things over them and call them into their God-ordained destinies. I just totally felt the anointing when I even just said that. We have the ability to call them into their God-ordained destinies by partnering with what God created them for. And then let them see and hear you pray and worship. Model that for them. I've realized that this is an area we want to get stronger with the kids. I don't think I've modeled very well them seeing me go into the deeper places with the Lord because I usually do it behind closed doors. My quiet time, I'm up here, Stephen's in his office. They don't really see us walking it out. And so in I would like to, in our family times, like even teach them how to worship, teach them how to go into those deeper places of prayer. They have to be taught this stuff. They're only going to do what they see, right? And so if we never show them how to go to those deeper places with the Lord and how to really hear his voice, it's going to be harder for them to learn. Not that they can't. God can still send people, but either way, mentors are necessary for our growth and you get to be that mentor. I remember when Judah was a, a toddler and I'd be vacuuming and I'd be praying just under my breath while I was vacuuming. And I remember him asking me, mom, who are you talking to? And I said, oh, I'm just talking to Jesus. And so now they know if they see me just talking to myself, I'm talking to Jesus. So they see me talking to the Lord all the time. You can model it for them. You guide them through it and then make room for them to pray. Learn from my mistake. Don't ever criticize how they're praying. I It only took one time that I tried to correct the way they were praying and I noticed that it shut them down from taking risk in prayer for years, for years. And I, I just kicked myself for it all the time. I, and I even apologized for it. I was like, listen, I shouldn't have corrected the way you were praying. But you talking to God is beautiful. And, you know, I repented for it. But don't criticize how they pray. Just model it. Walk with them. They'll learn. They'll, they'll refine their process as they grow. Okay? And so the fourth step in the phase, the first one, of course, is nurture the soil of their hearts. Second one is plant the seeds. 
third one is water those seeds in prayer that God will bring the growth. Fourth one is celebrate the growth, and this is fun. Celebrating the growth is when we see the first glimmers of growth. We had this happen yesterday. I have one particular son who, for whatever reason, tends to be very antagonizing with his brothers. Drives me crazy. And so I get onto him, and I have to really watch what I say when I'm getting onto him because I don't want to speak out of frustration or speak lies over him. I want to always call him into who he is. And I tell him, like, you are a man of God. And it frustrates me when you act like this because that's not who you are. So knock it off, you know. But then I noticed the next morning when his brother was getting ready, I even took a picture of it. He was standing in the bathroom and doing his hair for him and helping him get ready instead of locking the bathroom door and leaving him out of the bathroom, you know? And so I called that out and I celebrated that growth. I said, that right there was so beautiful. You were serving your brother. And I said, Shiloh, how did that make you feel? And he said, it made me feel like Levi cared about me. And I said, exactly. And so I like called it out and I celebrated it in front of all of his brothers and just celebrated that win because what you celebrate, whether you're celebrating like by giving your attention to their shortcomings or if you're celebrating their victories, whatever you give your attention to, you'll get more of. So if I'm celebrating their wins, correct their shortcomings, of course, correct what needs to be corrected, but really give my energy and my celebration to their wins then that is gonna, that's going to cause more wins. I read a, a quote last night that said, find what someone's really good at and then freak out about it. <laughs> find what your kids are really great at and celebrate those wins and freak out about it. Like freak out. Show them how awesome it is. When you, what you focus on with your words and attention is what you'll get more of. So be mindful and celebrate what you want more of. Even correction can be framed in a way that celebrates what you know they're capable of. Um, there's one particular of my children who I really notice black and white dramatic response with this. But when we're correcting our children, it's so important to follow that correction with, listen, I'm correcting you because of how much I believe in you. And I respect you. I use boy language for boys. I respect you. I respect who you're growing into. And you are better than what your behavior just demonstrated. You're better. And I know you're going to do better the next time. And just kind of speaking life into and celebrating the wins that you already believe are coming, that just fills them with courage in themselves and hope that they can succeed because we as human nature, right, we're our own worst critic and children are no exception. That's why they say, um, you know, like for every criticism, you need to give 10 compliments to balance it out. It's because our brains are just wired that way. I think it's a survival technique. So we want to celebrate and honor what they're doing well because it creates space. It, it creates, it gives permission for them to ditch their self-doubt and step into their awesome your celebration gives them permission. Your words frame their worlds. Your words frame their world. There was a survey of these children when they were young. I think like 95% of them tested out on genius level. So they followed this group of children through life and they would check in with them every 10 years or something. And so around 10 years old, they found that like only 75% of them tested out at genius level. And then they checked in with them around 20 years old 
and they found out that it dropped significantly, like 30% of them tested out at genius level. And then as full-grown adults, only like 5% tested out at genius level. And they're like, what happened? Children are not more genius than adults, but where did their genius go? And they realized that the children who had been told no and you can't and they were not celebrated were the ones, it stunted their growth, it stunted their risk-taking, it stunted their creativity, it stunted their sense of self-permission because it wired their brain to be focused on what's not possible, what they're not good at, right? But when we celebrate what our kids are good at and we call out what they're awesome at and we keep the focus there, it's not gonna nurture arrogant children. Don't worry, life will humble them. What Instead, what you're nurturing is confident children who are going to take risks, who are going to believe in themselves even when they face life's obstacles. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to be the ones that accomplish great things because you gave them permission to believe in themselves because you believed in them. So celebrate the growth, big and small. Celebration, I don't know why we do this, but we're really good at celebrating our kids. Oh, that was so good, Johnny. When they're like three years old, you took a step and fell on your face. Yay! You know? But then when they're teenagers, it's like, I have to really be intentional with my teens. And maybe, I think it's possibly because it takes more vulnerability as they get older to really celebrate and praise them. But if you program yourself to make it autopilot to celebrate and praise your children, it should not diminish as they get older. It should just be even more intentional and even more deep. You can also celebrate their growth by creating opportunities for their gifts to function. Um... My son, one son is really good at basketball and I'm realizing I have to be intentional to support that. Show, it shows him I believe in him, it nurtures his gift and, it, and I as the grown up am the one who creates the opportunities for him. And so we're gonna be prayerful about it but I realize it's my responsibility to steward their gifts while they're in my home and, to, and by doing that, by pulling on their gifts, by creating space for their gifts, you are sending a message of, I celebrate you and I celebrate the way that you're wired. Okay, so the fifth phase is enjoy the fruit. Enjoy the fruit that has now grown in your children. And it'll, it'll happen probably from their teen years and on up that you'll really see a lot of fruit. Take time to enjoy the relationship. Like just enjoying the relationship. I love having conversations with my kids where they're asking questions, I'm asking questions, I'm talking about things that they know more about than I do. Um, like guitar with my one son. And so enjoy that relationship, having conversations, spending time together. Do fun things together, right? Love and laughter plow the hardest hearts, remember? Do fun things with your kids. Pull on their gifts and their strengths. Sometimes, like when Steven is out of the country and something breaks and I don't really know how to fix it, I have a bunch of boys and males are wired to fix problems. And so some of, all of my boys are very crafty in different ways. They'll all take different approaches and I'll be like, okay guys, we got to fix this problem. Can, I need your help. And I'll pull on that and they feel like such a man when I do that. And I love it. <clears throat> and so find ways to pull on their gifts and pull on their strengths. Benjamin is really smart and good at school and he's just two years ahead of Shiloh. So when Shiloh's having homework trouble, instead of me struggling over it, because I don't know the new words and language, you know, for their schooling, I'll say, hey, Benjamin, can you come help your brother? I know you're probably really good at this. And he'll come over and he just, it's his sweet spot, right? Continue to celebrate and savor and relish the fruit of their lives. As they get older, man, parenting gets sweeter. It really, really does, especially when we have worked hard to create and nurture a climate 
where we have put into them the things that we want them to grow at, the things that matter, the things of the Lord. You've taken the time to sow the seed, not just sow the seed, but model what you're teaching. This is huge. Listen, you can do all these other steps that I just described, but if you're not modeling what you're teaching, there will be a disconnect. If you're telling them to be respectful to each other, but you're not being respectful to them, they will never learn what you're teaching. You have to model it. So parenting is not just a journey about your kids. It's a journey about us, but it's also for your grandkids and for your great-grandkids. The things you're teaching your children will pass. How many things am I teaching my kids that I literally think back and hear my mom's voice even still? So raising God-fearing, God-loving children is really, it's about the journey, it's about the process. One, you nurture the soil through loving your kids well, paying attention to their needs, making them feel seen, heard, and valued. And then when your kids starts hardening their heart, do not take that as a personal rejection. Take it as an opportunity to explore what's going on. Ask them questions. See if they're okay and be willing to repent to your kids. If you did something that hurt them, you need to apologize for it. They're people just like your people. If you want someone to apologize to you, you need to be able to apologize to your children. That does not break the parent-child code. It models humility to your kid, right? So nurture that soil. Keep it healthy. Second, sow seeds. You need to sow all the seeds you can possibly sow. Take them to church. Good, choose good entertainment. Pray in good friends. Protect the friends that they have. Um, listen to Christian music in the car. Talk about the things of the Lord as you go. Sow good seed. Third, very important, water those seeds with prayer. God is the one who causes it to grow. So water everything you're doing with prayer. Invite God into this journey on a daily, regular basis. Pray for the things that you never thought to pray about before. Pray for everything. I literally pray about everything. Number four, celebrate the growth. Put lots of energy into freaking out over the things that they're growing in. Focus on the growth. Don't always focus on where they haven't grown yet. Focus on the growth. They will naturally be aware of their shortcomings. Do we need to point them out from time to time to guide them and teach them? Yes, absolutely. But err on the side of lots of celebration. And then just enjoy the relationship. As they get older, you are going to enjoy. I enjoy having older kids. I enjoy it, but I also intentionally nurture those relationships. I care about what they care about. I spend time doing what they love, even if I don't love it. By nurturing the relationship and treating them with respect and modeling what you're asking, listen, the chances of you raising someone who's going to love God go way, 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 way up because that's what the word of God tells us to do. This is the process of growing a fruitful tree. And the Bible says those of us who lead many unto righteousness are like fruitful trees who are planted by the river and always yield fruit in season. I hope this was encouraging to you mamas. Share it with someone else. I apologize again for my congested nose, but thank you for listening. Didn't want to leave you guys hanging this week. And stay tuned for that life hack about how to not get sick like I just did wearing a mask. Okay, so this life hack, so simple. I was like, why did I not think of this before? I wore a mask on Thursday, and it's fine. I needed to, just the situation called for it. 
<clears throat> wore it for three hours. Now I'm not used to wearing them. So I had not built up, built up like an acclimation to it. Um, and I got really sick. So a friend of mine said, well, when you have to wear a mask, why don't you drop some essential oils into the fabric of your mask so that you're breathing in essential oils while you're wearing it? I was like, oh my gosh, that is brilliant. The reason this is brilliant is because what we don't realize is your nasal passages are a filter for bacteria and essential oils are antibacterial, antiviral, all of those things. And so even by putting that in the mask, it's automatically killing some bacteria that's floating around in there. And so, but then it also, it's uh, immune boosting. Essential oils are immune boosting because they actually have the same molecular makeup of your white blood cells, which is what fights off sickness, right? And so when you are consuming, putting on your skin or breathing in essential oils, you're boosting your immune system. And not to mention, you could put in something like lavender that has a very soothing, de-stressing effect. You could put in citrus, um, citrus like orange, lemon, bergamot, grapefruit. All of those are really great for boosting the immune system. They're very bright. They help wake you up. They're very fresh smelling. I wouldn't do something strong like peppermint that'll burn the eyes. Um, you could do thieves oil. Thieves is pretty strong though. So maybe do like just one drop or something. Thieves is really great at fighting off bacteria and all that kind of stuff. But I would keep with citrus or lavender if you're just not sure what to do. Those are going to be really great um, for your system. They'll fight any kind of allergic response. They'll have a very calming, like lavender has a very calming response in your system. And um, so it'll help. I should have totally done that. Didn't even think about it. But there you go. If you got to wear masks all day, just drop you some essential oils in it. Just carry a little bottle in your purse. You can buy essential oils at the grocery store. What you want to look for is 100% pure therapeutic grade. That means it's a pure oil not diluted or mixed with anything else and so that's the labeling you want to look for and then just find a brand that you like that's within your budget and use it that way and that will completely help a lot so there's that also don't forget share this with this episode with anyone that you think will benefit and i know it was a lot of content i struggle i try not to do too much content in one episode i wrote this thing in 20 minutes and then was like whoa that's a lot of stuff um, if any of these really stood out and you guys want me to dig deeper, please let me know. I, I don't know if you guys realize how much I lean into your feedback. And when I'm not hearing anything, I just kind of go on faith that people are listening to the podcast. But when I hear back from you guys, it, it just helps me realize like, hey, there are people out there and I'm not doing this for nothing. So just let me know you're out there. It's super helpful and encouraging for me. And if you have questions, drop them. I... I, t I pay attention to every single one, and if I'm not able to get to it immediately, I do have a list on my phone that I'm compiling so when I can go back to um, questions, then I do. So thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks for sharing. If you had any questions, let me know, and otherwise, I will see you on Instagram for all the continual updates and to connect. Catch you guys later. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. 
You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.